Well, thank you to Jay and the team for leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles, whether paper, electronic, whatever, uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 13. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we've been journeying through the book of Luke over the last little while. And we will continue that this morning, although we will be breaking in a couple of weeks' time as we come into Easter. Uh, And I'm looking forward to focusing on Easter as we build up towards Easter. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the Good Friday combined service with Berea Baptist as we do a communion on that Friday morning. Uh, So make sure you keep an eye on the website just for times and details and all that sort of stuff. Uh, That's a tradition we have and should be a great time of fellowship along with Berea. Perhaps you are joining us this morning. Uh, You might miss out a little element because today's message or today's portion of scripture from Luke chapter 13 really follows on from a portion of scripture beginning in Luke chapter 12. Uh, And I introduced it a couple of weeks ago to remind us that although we often approach Jesus with this view of Jesus is love, Jesus is grace, Jesus is this amazing person who would never criticize or never challenge us. And the reality is that the Gospels point out, no, there are times when Jesus gets very direct, when Jesus certainly does criticize and does condemn and does call to account. And so in the last few weeks or the last few portions of Scripture, we've been introduced to this harsh, this critical, almost Jesus. And we're left kind of going, whoa, hold on, that's not the Jesus I'm used to. Well, I've got good news for you. Because today is the Jesus we're used to. And it's the follow-on. We get to see this, this other side, this facet of this glorious diamond that is Jesus Christ. And today again we're reminded of the grace and compassion that Jesus showed the world around him. And picking up from Luke chapter 13, and it'll be on the screen as well because I'm going to go through it, stop and make some comments as we go. Luke 13 and verse 10 onwards. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now let's just pause there for a moment. It begins on a Sabbath. And we are reminded the Sabbath is a day of rest. It's part of the creation order. On the seventh day of creation, God rested from his work. And he set in motion that we should rest from our work. So we work, but there should be a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, where no work is to be done. And we'll touch on that in a moment. There's this unnamed woman. And I love the fact that today is International Woman's Day. And because one of the heroes of the story is a woman here. Now some of you might kind of go, well, why do we have International Woman's Day? We don't have International Men's Day. I'd like to remind you, that's probably every other day anyway. And if you're thinking that, that's the reason we need Women's Day. When I look at Jesus, when I look at how Jesus interacted with women, Jesus valued women. Jesus invited women to be a part of his inner circle. Jesus extended grace to women. 
Jesus allowed women to lead. If you don't believe me, read through Paul's greetings in Romans. Even the book of Romans is amazing because the letter that Paul entrusts to Rome, the book of Romans, he gives to a woman to take. Don't dare tell me women are subservient. Don't dare tell me that a woman's place is in the kitchen. You better be there helping her. So there's this woman. But this woman is is not only just a woman, she's bound by an infirmity. She's doubly affected. She's in a culture, she's in an era, she's in a place where women are seen as possessions already. Women are merely property of men. But not only is she a woman, she's an invalid or she's crippled. There's this physical challenge that she has. It would have made life very, very difficult for her. Crippled by a spirit for 18 years. In fact, in verse 16, we'll get there in a moment, but in verse 16, Jesus will say she's been bound by Satan for 18 long years. And you and I might read a passage like this, and we might wrestle with that. Because for us, in our particularly westernized worldview, we have a worldview collision here. We look at illness and we go, it's just illness. And we can give a neat scientific reason. We look at violence, we can give a scientific reason. Yet Jesus believed there was more to the physical realm than simply what could be seen and what could be touched. There was a spiritual realm that was equally real. There was a spiritual realm that had an influence on the physical realm. And so Jesus says, in this instance, this illness is not merely an illness. This is not merely a problem in the physical realm. There is a spiritual reason. Satan is having a field day in this person's life. And so therefore, the response is through prayer to come to God and say, God, I need your help in this. That's what James teaches us, by the way, in the book of James, James chapter 5. I love C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters, it's a fantastic little book. Uh, C.S. Lewis imagines what it would be like for a demon, Screwtape, this older demon, to write to his younger protege or uh, some connection called Wormwood. Uh, And in the beginning of the book, The Screwtape Letters, Lewis starts like this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, that is we, into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils, themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Uh, later on, while, Wormwood, uh, sorry, while Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, uh, he says, Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. I think they've done a great job of that because many of us would balk at the idea that there's a spiritual reason to a physical problem. Yet, my friends, how do we engage with Christ with integrity when we see that Christ believed there was a supernatural cause and a supernatural reason? Satan had a foothold. In fact, we see this throughout all the Gospels. As Satan has these footholds in people's lives. And even as I talk about footholds, I'm reminded how I spoke about this a couple of weeks or months ago. How so many of us give Satan a foothold without even realizing. 
The things we practice, the places we go, the stuff we consume, the media we consume. Without realizing we allow Satan into our lives. And so Jesus comes along and Jesus offers release and freedom. Jesus places his hand on this woman and heals her. In an instant. Yes, 18 years of suffering, but in an instant, she's healed. You know, as we read through the book of Luke, I actually find it fascinating that there are a few accounts where there's the demonic and there's the spiritual realm at play. And as we progress through Luke, the, the resistance decreases. And it's almost like Luke is trying to say to us, Jesus Christ has all power. And so merely with a word in his hand, he can deliver and set someone free. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one of God. He has power and authority. But in this passage, not only do we see that power and authority, we see the compassion. Notice the woman doesn't speak up. She doesn't cry out. She doesn't do anything. Jesus sees her. And Jesus calls her over and extends compassion. My friends, if you get nothing else out of today's sermon, if you're about to fall asleep, then just remember this. Jesus is all-powerful and Jesus cares for you. Jesus is all-powerful and Jesus cares for you, the individual. It's continuous. We read from verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Again, we go back to the Ten Commandments, the law of God. On the Sabbath, it's a day of rest. And this religious leader, this synagogue ruler, has determined that healing is work. And it should therefore not be done on the Sabbath. And really what he's doing is he's revealing a legalistic and hardened heart. There's a book of Jewish tradition written in the second century called the Mishnah. Uh, And in the Mishnah it lists 39 activities that were not allowed on the Sabbath. The rules were specific about what you may or may not do on the Sabbath. And there's very little in there around healing to be honest. So it's kind of odd. We're we're sort of going, well, why are you getting mad at Jesus? That's not even in the Mishnah. My understanding as I read through it is this is a classic legalistic heart at play. I don't know, but it looks like work. Therefore, it must be work. I'm not going to engage with it simply because it looks wrong. It must be wrong. And he tries to stop it. Jesus responds in verse 15. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? I touched on that word hypocrites a little while ago. A hypocrite comes from the acting world in those days. And a hypocrite was someone who put a mask on to pretend and to play a part. It wasn't the truth and the reality in their hearts. 
And it's a, such a beautiful image of a hypocrite. And Jesus goes, you're that actor with the mask. You're playing a part when your heart does not even practice or believe that. That's not who you are. You are hypocrites. You untie your ox and your donkey and you lead them to water. Do you know, as I was reading through this, I was blown away. You're going to love this. According to the Mishnah and according to the Jewish laws and rules of the day, untying a knot or tying a knot was considered work. So to get around that, they developed certain types of knots that were not considered work. And you're left going, isn't the human heart amazing? Aren't we just so incredible at being able to justify something just because we want to do it? According to the Mishnah, you could not travel a certain distance from your home on the Sabbath. So what do I do if my home is more than, let's say, a kilometer from where the local watering hole is? Clever Jews worked around it. Well, if I tie a rope from my home to perhaps a little building at the very edge of my property, that's still my home. And the kilometer only starts from there. I can walk two kilometers, but I've only walked one from my property. Fascinating. And Jesus goes, like I said a few weeks ago, you morons. If animals... If your animals can be treated with compassion, even on the Sabbath, because you know they need to be treated with compassion, and you know that a rule like the Sabbath still allows some grace and some movement, how much more should a daughter of Israel, a daughter of hope, the children of hope, how much more should someone like that not receive compassion on a Sabbath day? The day when you're supposed to be contemplating God. The day when you're supposed to be worshipping. While I'm worshipping to be set free by the very one I'm worshipping. Jesus says, extend compassion. Extend grace. You know, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 5, we spoke about this. Where Jesus talks about being Lord over the Sabbath. Daryl Bach has this to say. Daryl says, the major issue in this text is not the debate over Sabbath activity, but what stands behind it. Sabbath practice was not a highlighted issue in the early church, as we read in Romans 14, since different believers did different things on the Sabbath. But the call to have compassion was important. The text emphasizes that it is appropriate to be compassionate all the time. And it is Jesus' compassion that causes the crowds to rejoice. The synagogue leader, however, is so bound up on his rules that he cannot rejoice in the blessing of deliverance that has taken place. Jesus says the Sabbath serves us. We don't serve it. Every now and then, as a, a church and certainly as a pastor of a church, I get to engage with various parachurch organizations. And a number of years ago, I was involved with a youth organization, and I've never forgotten what the leader of that organization said to me. He said, Brian, my job, this organization's job, is to support your local ministry. The moment it starts to seem like I need you to support me, 
and my stuff is more important, that's when you say, okay, Tim, thanks, we're done. We're here to support. This is what Jesus is saying about the Sabbath. It's not a day for legalistic practice. It's a day that's supposed to serve us into worshiping God. And that's going to look very different for all different people. Some of you work on Sunday. Guess what? So do I. <laughs> this isn't my Sabbath. Friday is. And I go to Costco. <laughs> so what's the summary of those few verses? We're not done, but what's the summary of those few verses? I think it's quite simple. The simple summary that we see is Jesus cares. Jesus reaches out. Jesus is unfazed by leprosy, by deformity, by uh, anything, illness, chaos. Jesus cares. He reaches out. But not only does Jesus care, Jesus has come to release us. And in this context, to release us from the spiritual forces that seek to dominate us. And then lastly, and perhaps most challenging for many of us, it's our hypocrisy that blocks people from coming to Jesus. You see, we focus on the rules. We focus on the externals. If you dress in a certain way, you're welcome here. If you look a certain way, you're welcome. If you're from a certain area, you're welcome. And we have all these rules in play. And we prevent the very people whom Jesus reaches out to by using us. We prevent them from being able to come and find release. Moving on in verse 17. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. You know, it's not stated in this passage for us this morning, but it's certainly stated in many of the rest of the Gospels. This was the reason the religious leaders hated Jesus. Because he showed them for what they were. And he showed them for who they were. Hypocrites who were only interested in power over others. And so the religious authorities wanted Jesus dead. Because he threatened their power structures. Jesus then responds in verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked through the dough. And of course, this begs the question, why? Why would Jesus say this? That seems a, a very odd response in the midst of a crowd being marveling at, at what he's doing and loving the fact that he's silencing the leaders. Why would Jesus say this? In fact, if we back it up just a little bit, starting in chapter 12 and verse 49, why would Jesus go from being critical and harsh? Remember he said in 1249 onwards that he's come to bring division. He calls the leaders and the people foolish hypocrites who can't tell the signs of the times. 
He calls the crowd to repent or perish. And then he does this miraculous healing. Why would Jesus suddenly now say, this is what the kingdom of God is like? Well, it it should be apparent. The children of Israel are waiting for the kingdom of God. The children of Israel have been waiting for 400 years. 400 years of silence from the last prophet to arise and speak to the nation of Israel. And now one has arisen. And so they're waiting for the kingdom to come. And they're hopeful, they're praying, they're expectant. Maybe the kingdom is going to be here soon. You see, for us and certainly for them, the kingdom didn't look like what Jesus said the kingdom looked like. And for, for our human hearts, we want the kingdom to come in a grandiose way. Yet Jesus is born in a stable. And people want the king to come riding in on a, a white stallion and rescue them by violently overthrowing the oppressors. In a few weeks' time, Jesus will ride in on a donkey and he will be crucified. Although thereby destroying the rulers of darkness who oppress. People want lights, camera, action. And Jesus says, we must become the least and we must serve. You see, the kingdom of God is not like what we think it should be and it will not come in the way we think it shall be. The kingdom of God is subversive. The kingdom of God comes in small ways. And what Jesus is saying to the audience is the kingdom of God is already here. Acknowledge, see, notice. It starts small, but it will grow. And I love the culmination of that kingdom imagery when we get into the book of Revelation. Where John says, I looked and I saw a great multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people. Worshipping. Singing praises, declaring the majesty of God. You see, the kingdom will start small, but it will grow. And it will be visible and magnificent. So what? What do we do with this? How do we close off? Where do I land this plane this morning? It's quite simple. Jesus cares. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus cares, Jesus cares for you, and Jesus wants to set you free. Ultimately, from the spiritual forces that oppress, and that seek to bind, and that seek to consume. But often those spiritual forces look like very mundane, everyday things. What are you bound and bent over with? And I mean metaphorically, I don't literally mean physically. What are you bound and bent over with? What what is controlling you? Is it an addiction? Alcohol? Gambling? Pornography? Drugs? And by drugs I mean both prescription or narcotics. Is it food? Love? Sex? What has you bound and bent over? Is it bitterness? Rage? Malice? Anger? Or as I spoke about earlier on today, perhaps it's fear. Fear of illness. Fear of disease. Fear of the loss of life. Fear of loneliness. What has you bound and bent over? And I would go so far to ask, 
Is there a spiritual or demonic element to that? That only Jesus can redeem and set you free from. Jesus cares. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus has come to set you free. And then of course, we must be careful not to let our pursuits of religious practices according to our preferred custom outweigh our responsibility to be compassionate for the very people that Jesus came to save and to redeem and to rescue and to set free. As Daryl Bach says, we must not allow the tyranny of comfort in practice or even the tyranny of keeping to some type of predetermined schedule prevent us from being sensitive to others around us. Let us therefore not be guilty of not only not coming to Christ, let us not be guilty of preventing others from doing the same. Jesus cares. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus has come to set you free. Let's pray together. Jesus, we marvel at your authority and at your power. Indeed, you are the anointed one of God. And Jesus, when we read a passage of scripture like this, we see powerfully that you have come to set us free. Free from spiritual bondage, free from emotional bondage, free from psychological bondage, free from physical bondage. Jesus, you care for us. And so I pray for each one of us this morning. Help us by your spirit to respond. Even now, would you call to mind those things that have us in bondage? And show us that you want to set us free from that. Help us to cry out to you. Help us to reach out to you. Help us to respond as you reach out to us. And thereby receive grace. And then Jesus, for us as an organization, for us as a church body, oh God, prevent, forbid that we would become so legalistic and so consumed with our practices and our rules and our laws that we would lose sight of those who need grace. Jesus, you're in the business of changing hearts, yet we're in the business of changing shirts. Forgive us. And help us to reach out, even as you would reach out. And indeed, may your kingdom come and may your glory be seen and your impact felt. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.